0: This episode of Jeff does Vegas
1: we are the keeper of the keys that's kind of like the old explanation of it where you were the keeper of the keys of the castle I would say that's sort of our job we're sort of the Swiss Army knife of the hotel where we know a lot of information about you know things of our own hotel things of the city itself uh, typically if you're a good concierge you're versed in a lot of different types of cuisine a lot of different types of culture if you could speak multiple languages is great because all it is is enhancing the experience of the guest
0: Las Vegas. It's more than just a city. It's a feeling. It's that feeling of excitement when you spot the lights of the strip out the airplane window. It's that feeling of awe as you stroll down the boulevard taking in the sights and sounds. And it's that feeling of satisfaction Knowing that you're in the greatest city in the world. Over 42 million people from around the world share that feeling every year. And I'm one of them. Taking you to the world famous Vegas Strip and beyond, my name is Jeff. And this is Jeff Does Vegas. Welcome to episode number 168 of Jeff Does Vegas. Before we get into this episode of the podcast, I want to take a moment to thank my guest from the last episode, Eli Siegel, investigative business reporter with the Las Vegas Review-Journal. Eli jumped on the podcast to chat about the past, present, and future of one of the most interesting resorts set to open on the Vegas Strip, the Fountain Blue. We talked about the more than 15-year gap between groundbreaking and grand opening, the financial issues the properties faced, its multiple owners, and the effect that it may have on revitalizing the northern part of Las Vegas Boulevard. If you haven't listened as of yet, jump into the archives at jeffdoesvegas.com or search out From Eyesore to Eye Catching, The Story of the Fountain Blue. You'll find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcasts. I absolutely love discovering new Vegas content creators and then sharing them with all of you, whether it's a new blogger, vlogger, or as in the case of this episode, a fellow podcaster. Joining me this time around is Brian Ortega, and he's the host of the Concierge Confidential Podcast. Every episode, Brian gives listeners an inside look at Las Vegas and the people who work there. He explores every aspect of the Vegas lifestyle from hotels to restaurants to nightlife, and he even shares some awesome tips and tricks for Las Vegas visitors. Brian and I talked about his past life as a concierge at a major Las Vegas resort and some of the weird requests he dealt with, what inspired him to launch the podcast, and what he's enjoying about getting it out there. And I asked him to temporarily step back into his concierge role to share some of his favorite Vegas restaurants, shows, And more. Please enjoy my conversation with Brian Ortega from the Concierge Confidential Podcast.
1: I've actually lived here for about 10 years now I'm actually from Arizona I moved here to go to school I went to school I got a job while I was in school and ended up staying in Las Vegas which um, I'm originally from Tucson Arizona which is a small town that everybody tries to get out of and uh, I ended up doing it and I am one of the, the, the many transplants to the city of Las Vegas
0: when you first moved to the city was there anything that really surprised you about Vegas? I mean, it has this reputation outside of the city. I think everybody's got some preconceived notions about Las Vegas. Was there anything that really surprised you when you moved to the city?
1: Um, one of the biggest things, and this was actually after I after I moved out of like the dorm and I was living in sort of the local area and then started working in the city, was that many people who don't work on the Strip, even people who work on the Strip, do not visit the Las Vegas Strip very often. It's actually... Not an alarming amount because it's, it's what people, you know, people don't want to spend a lot of money. But the amount of people who don't actually go to the strip is, is quite high. Um, a lot of people have normal jobs here. They work in, you know, tech or they work in... You know, IT, certain things like that, and that was actually one of the most surprising things was uh, the amount of people who don't like going to the Strip, and I'm one of the very few that love the whole experience of Las Vegas Boulevard. I saw Ocean's Eleven when I was a kid, Um, the the new one with um, George Clooney, and to me, that is always what Vegas is, and I think a lot of us have that story that we saw that one movie, and that will always be the Vegas to us, and uh, I think that's actually the best way to experience Vegas is through the eyes of how you uh, how you saw Vegas the first time. But it's getting harder to do that just because of, you know, pricing and some old things are going away. For example, like we don't have the sands anymore. We don't have, you know, the dunes. So we have to sort of find remnants of of those that era for some people.
0: It's funny that you talk about that whole idea of locals not liking to go to the strip, because. I visit Vegas so often. I've made a lot of friends over the the years that I've been going to Vegas that live there, locals that live there. And yeah, they, they all tell me that they're like, unless I have to go to the strip for work, I am not going to the strip. So I've actually kind of made a point of getting away from the strip myself and d- doing the locals things because A, for two reasons, uh, A, it's a, a really, really good experience and B, it saves their sanity because they're not having to come to to the strip to come and see me.
1: (laughs) That's right. No, it's, it's, it's also, I, I think it's important for me as somebody who talks about Vegas and goes and spe- experiences things on the Strip, to actually stay on the Strip and see what it feels like. Because uh, I had to, I stayed on the Strip when I went to go see Adele because my mom was in town. We ended up staying at Caesars. And it is not a, a cheap experience just because you are surrounded by slot machines all day. You're surrounded by table games. And then if you ever want to do something, like if you're going to sit at a bar, you're going to spend money to to drink. So um, I think it's important to, as a local person, Vegas content creators, suppose, is to experience what you know tourists feel because I can just you know go have you know somewhat expensive dinner and then come home and that's you know the only cost that I have to take into account. So, yeah, I I'm always asked like what is there to do in town and and yeah many locals also don't know how to get it's even just getting around the Las Vegas Strip right now especially because we have F1 going on during this podcast or getting it built up and just getting around the strip is so much of a headache. And uh, I can see why somebody wouldn't want to go there. There's, there's parts of the strip that I don't go to right now just because of the accessibility of it. So it, it has it's, it's an important factor for sure.
0: You mentioned moving to Las Vegas to go to school and go to university. I, I creeped your LinkedIn bio yeah. and I see you went to UNLV um, broadcast journalism. was that's something that you always wanted to do. I mean, I know for me, getting into the world of radio, I knew from like the time I was a kid, I wanted to work in radio. Was it something similar for yourself?
1: Yeah, for me, I had been want. I I'd, I'd always loved sports, and I always wanted to work in in sports media. So I wanted to be a broad, like you know, sort of like a Joe Buck or like an Al Michaels broadcaster, or like a guy on Sports Center, because that's when Sports Center was huge. And then um, I just sort of kept on with it in high school. And that's what I really wanted to do. That's what I wanted to get my major in. And yeah, it was. it's always been something I've wanted to do. And then when I went to UNLV, I took obviously my broadcasting classes, but I also found that we have a world-class hospitality school and I needed some outside areas of study. So that's where I actually started taking some hospitality classes, which are actually very, very interesting. They're very common sense, I have to say, but it's a lot of like accounting because I dated a girl who was actually in the hospitality program, and I found out it's really just accounting. If you're going to get a degree in hospitality, you're just doing accounting, but with, you know, bed sheets instead of uh, regular numbers sometimes. Uh, <laughs> but yeah.
0: And so, I mean, outside of your, your current podcast, which we are going to get to in, in a bit here, um your broadcast journalism stuff, you're involved in media to a degree in Vegas right now?
1: Yeah, so right now I'm a producer for a company called DraftKings, you may have heard of it, uh, and we do sports betting uh, TV. So I work for a company called Vison, and they were the first st- uh, specific sports betting uh, radio format, and then they also do TV, they're on YouTube TV, so on and so forth, and we do sports betting television, which um, is very interesting, especially during football season, it's always very busy, uh, so this is a fun way to sort of break it up. But I did end up going into the uh, broadcast field, but that was after working as a concierge for many, many years because I found out that TV doesn't actually pay very good uh, unless you start <laughs> getting into, um, you know, like the private, like private sector, like, you know, local news doesn't pay very well. So I actually just kept being a concierge for a
0: while and then um, kind of went from there. I've seen the uh, the cin Studios in uh, in Circuit. That's such a cool environment. That's so amazing.
1: Yeah, it's you're definitely around it all the time. You always know what sports are going on, what sports are coming up. I actually don't like to watch a lot of sports television when I'm actually not at work. So my dad will call me and say, "Did you see this on you know Sports Center?" It's like, well. It's my day off, so I turn I tried not to actually watch sports that day. But you keep up to date, but it's it's really a great experience and I think um circa's actually one of the lone properties that centered its sports its casino around its sports book, which if you walk around town nowadays you don't really see that very often.
0: I would imagine the um the novelty of working at a studio located in circa wears off after a while. And the only reason I say this is because I spent several years working at a radio station in West Edmonton mall in Edmonton, Canada Mm -hmm. and West Edmonton mall is for those that aren't familiar. It's one of the biggest shopping malls in the world for a while. It was the biggest shopping mall in the world. It's got a water park. It's got an amusement park. It's got a, a, in true Canadian fashion, it's got a, an ice rink in the center ice that back in the eighties and early nineties, the Edmonton Oilers used to practice at on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. And our studios, we had the storefront studios in the mall. And it was so awesome when I started working there, and I loved it. And inside of a month, I hated every minute. <laughs> <head>. <laughs>
1: yes, it happens all the time. Yeah, I get it. No, yeah, because you're basically in a bubble. So I actually take to it just fine. Um, it, it does wear off that you're like in a studio in a casino. But I have a lot of coworkers that don't enjoy being in the, uh, the fishbowl. But it's okay. It's all, it's all good. But yeah, I, I get it.
0: So you mentioned spending a lot of time working as a concierge, which is interesting to me for a lot of different reasons. And I want to talk to you about that first. For those who maybe aren't 100% familiar, what is a concierge and what does a concierge do? I mean, I have a pretty good idea in my head, but I have a sneaky suspicion you're going to clarify it for me.
1: Certainly. So we, the word concierge gets actually used a lot now. It's actually used a lot in like the medical field and it It's not exactly the same, but it's like, oh, this is like your medical concierge where they're actually there to do all these things. So um, it gets used a lot of ways. But in the true sense of the word for hotels is that we are the keeper of the keys. That's kind of like the the old explanation of it, where you were the keeper of the keys of the castle. And... I would say that's sort of our job. We're sort of the Swiss army knife of the hotel where we know a lot of information about, you know, things of our own hotel, things of the city itself. Uh, typically, if you're a good concierge, you're versed in a lot of different types of cuisine, a lot of different types of culture. If you could speak multiple languages is great because all it is is enhancing the experience of the guest. And we're really there to do all the things that You may not want to do yourself, which maybe the internet might help you with nowadays, but we're there to give you that human touch. And that was always the thing that I really wanted to really accentuate when I was working as a concierge was that I would give you the personal feel of a show or a restaurant, what it feels like. Um, Because a lot of times you can go online, read a review, and... It helps and you can see pictures, but it really helps if you have somebody who's been there, has you know done the thing that you're trying to do. And it's also about crafting experiences. And that's really what a a good concierge in hotels does now. So hotels, for example, like The Wind, The Encore, MGM Grand, The Skylofts, Mandalay Bay, they all have concierge. But there are certain hotels in the Strip that no longer have that type of concierge. Nowadays, you hear concierge in a hotel on the Strip, and all they do is sell tickets and tours, and that's all they do. But a real concierge... I say a real concierge, a real concierge (laughs) um, really knows how to enhance the experience by doing, you know, flower arrangements because it's uh, an anniversary or something. Or if you call in and say, I want to do this with my wife, it's our 35th anniversary, what can we do? And then from there, a good concierge never should have like a stock answer. It should always be, I always say you should ask three questions before you figure out what this person wants because somebody may not want to go out to a bar because they may not drink. So... It's really being, it's the personal touch of the hotel. And I think that is my favorite part about being a concierge was adding to those experiences. So really it's a person who is, again, the Swiss army knife of the hotel that can give you recommendations, the personal touch, you know, at your fingertips.
0: It feels like the way things have gone and the way things are going in Vegas, and we'll get to that more so in depth in a bit, but it does feel like that personal touch has really disappeared as you Mm -hmm. say the concierge desk now at a lot of the hotels seems to have been taken over by people selling quote-unquote or giving away quote-unquote tickets and tours which usually involves you getting sucked in or looped into some sort of timeshare presentation and and it really does feel like you say like that personal touch has gone away
1: yeah and I, I definitely say I mean we even have kiosks now that check you in which um, is great Like if you don't really want anything extra. But uh, people always say, well, I wasn't able to do this. I wasn't able to do that. And it's the first question I would ask is, did you talk to a human being? Which I know can sometimes be difficult. But I always tell people, even though we get long lines, and I'd see the long lines all the time for the check-in desk, try to check in with the front desk, with an agent. Because that person can actually listen to your experience and say, oh, well, it's your anniversary. Maybe I can do this for you. Maybe I can put you on a higher floor. Maybe a better view. It's not guaranteed. There's ways to get those things, obviously. But checking in, working with an actual person does goes a whole lot. And I, I agree that a lot of, especially after COVID, a lot of the personal touch has kind of gone away. A lot of the freebies that we used to give out have also gone away. And it's always works in sort of phases. So it was sort of like the liaison faire, do what you want as like a host or a concierge right up until, I would say the um, 2008 recession, and then we had to tighten our belts, and then we had COVID, which also made them tighten their belts even more. So we use these points sort of in history for Vegas to sort of recalibrate and change. So sometimes for good and maybe sometimes not for good.
0: You bring up an interesting, you mentioned hosts, and so let's talk just briefly then about the difference between what a concierge does versus what a casino host does.
1: Yeah, so I actually, before I left being a concierge, I actually wanted to be a host because I felt I, I actually, um, as another, as another job I did, I was teaching people how to play blackjack and craps at a, at a Marriott, um, in town. And I know a lot of the, you know, game, you know, the games and also just, being a gambler myself, being around other gamblers and knowing what their you know needs are, and also you know parlaying that in with being a concierge and dealing with people on a you know a face to face basis is I thought I could do that, so I thought I could actually put that all together and casino hosts essentially they are people who take care of somewhat VIP guests. They're guests that come into town that are here specifically to gamble. And it's really changed. It used to be really the upper echelon person who would come in, you know, betting $500,000 hands. Nowadays, we actually get a lot of people that are slot players and they actually just have a lot of slot points because of M Life and Caesar's rewards. We have a lot more casino hosts that deal with that. And then we have executive casino hosts who deal with, you know, the whales, if you will. So those people are the ones that are arranging these, you know, the trips to come to Vegas, the rooms, they have a much larger pool to choose from. So they're part of like the marketing team. And they're the ones that give you, you know, they have the power to give you free rooms, free shows. Um, sometimes they'll do promotional uh, sort of tickets. So you come into town and they'll have like, you two as an example, they'll have YouTube playing, but just for, you know, high level MGM guests, they're the ones who arrange that. They're the ones that actually track and see how much you're spending. So really, they are like a concierge just for you. I'm kind of like the concierge for everybody else, basically, at that point.
0: So how long then did you work as a concierge? And, and can you tell us where you worked as a concierge? Yeah, sure. So it was always <laughs> going to be
1: like a, like a secret thing. But I've said it a couple of times. So I used to work at MGM Grand, which is the big green monster, as we called it. And we had, I think, the second largest concierge team. We had about... I want to say we had about 40 concierge. And I think the only one bigger was the Venetian Palazzo, which is obviously two properties put together. Uh, But yeah, I worked there about four years and then COVID happened. And then obviously, everybody basically got laid off. It was a very, very surreal experience. Um, When we were able to start coming back, they did ask me to come back, but I had already started my new job. And I felt like this was a good pivot to sort of get out of the hotel business uh, just because... Um sometimes you get stuck there. That's that happens. We have a lot of concierges that end up being there for a long time. Cuz really the difference between concierge and like front desk agents. Front desk agents tend to be especially like breaking into the hotel business in their 20s, you know, late 20s into the early 30s. And then you also get concierge who maybe break in in their 30s, you know, 20s or 30s and they make it a career because you really can make being a concierge a career because it's actually um, a pretty, pretty nice salary, and you also get commissions on top of that. So you can kind of get stuck unless you want to move up and become a manager or move to the front of the other front of the house, the front desk, or become a casino host or marketing. So I felt it was going to take a long time to get to the track I wanted. So I decided to make the pivot and go to, um, get a job in a, uh, where I actually got my degree in, so my mom was very happy about that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and it's always important to make mom happy. That's that right. is the most important part of the whole thing.
1: <laughs> yeah, that, that's right. So I, I did I did learn something more than just using Brussels sprouts and you capitalized, which I always make that joke <laughs> from what I learned in college.
0: Um, I would imagine you probably had some strange requests, some weird questions. Yeah. What were some of the more bizarre requests that you'd get as a concierge?
1: So, yeah. So, um, the funny thing is if you ever have a strange request, don't be afraid to ask a concierge. We always enjoy the weird ones. We sell tickets for shows, tickets for tours. All day, every day. That's not exciting. But the exciting ones are the ones that you don't quite have an answer for in the moment. So, um, one that I remembered, so I wanted to remember, I I tell it uh, quite a bit, is that I actually had somebody ask for a little person for a birthday. So, uh, this person walked up. It was, it was Friday. They wanted it for, they wanted, um, the little person for Saturday. So, They had spoken to another concierge about it but that person wasn't there so i got stuck with it and one of the key things is we don't want to say no so we always you know we try not to say no so i said i called my manager because this was a very interesting one and then they said well we work with this company that does these interesting requests and we also have an we have two People we can call. One of them was way too expensive because we would have had to flown, um, the performers in from Washington. It would have been like fifteen, two thousand dollars. So we decided not to do that one, but we do work with a company called Las Vegas events and they actually have a number for an agent for a little person and we were able to get in contact with them. I was able to call them and then we started with a price. And then I was like, perfect. I found a little person uh, for this price. I told the guests and then we had to start negotiating. So it found out to be a negotiation. So we were able to end up fulfilling the request by, uh, we booked the little person for $550 for 30 minutes of work to bring out a cake and sing happy birthday at the pool. So it was quite an experience to do all that in such a short amount of time. Um I have one more quick one if you'd like and it's sort of it sound it starts off kind of like R rated, but it actually turns into a very nice little story. So um we actually had a guest, this was just sort of, of the um uh, in the office. So this wasn't one specifically for me, but it was sort of a team effort where we had a guest where she was actually getting married that weekend and she had had uh, breast cancer. So she actually had a double mastectomy and then had implants put in. And she told us that she actually forgot her nipples on her way to Las Vegas. Her, um, her. So we, we ended up actually trying to figure this out. We found a costume shop that actually had... Uh, and, uh, and nipples and um but they didn't have glue they didn't have a like, human adhesive and she really wanted to have all this for her wedding night for her honeymoon so we actually ended up calling ka which is our cirque du soleil show and said do you have like glue that can go on you know like like a body and they said yeah we also have nipples do you want both of those and then they like were like, yes, of course. So we actually ended up fulfilling this entire request in less than 48 hours. So we were very excited as a team to uh, make this woman's night very, very special. So that was one of our more uh, interesting requests for sure.
0: I think those are both high points that should appear in your LinkedIn profile, quite yes. frankly. <laughs> Able to source... A little person for a birthday party and nipples for a wedding night. Yeah. I think that's...
1: <laughs> yeah, no, it's um. it was definitely an undertaking, but uh, I'll definitely say that every time I work in an interview that I can think on my feet, which that's a lot of what the job is, is just thinking on your feet and doing it with style. That's the biggest thing is you make sure you got to do it with style. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Um, I want to talk about the podcast. This is, is such a fun podcast to listen to the concierge confidential podcast. Um, what was it that inspired you to, to take that step and, and launch a podcast? It, it can be a very, uh, a big undertaking and it can be a little bit intimidating to go out. And it's sort of that feeling of, do I want to put myself out there like this? What was it that, that made you take that step?
1: Definitely. So I found that working in the hotel industry, we have a lot of these stories. And then when you go out and work a regular job and being in TV, I guess counts as a regular job now is a lot of people don't have these experiences. And I would find myself, you know, telling these stories to all the people in the control room and they thought they were fun or they thought they were funny. So I thought this would be. Something that I could, I, and I've always loved educating people on things that I know that I'd really love them to know. So I found that this was a good, you know, a good idea. Um, I actually had been, you know, producing some podcasts at my local, at my job that I work at now and found that it actually wasn't that hard. So you just need a microphone. You need, you know, an editing system, which I already had. And then obviously being able to, you know, talk. So. Obviously it takes more than that. I found out once I started putting it together, you need a, you know, you need a host system, you need to be able to deliver it. Uh good sound quality is a very important thing and it's not just having a regular microphone. I went through several iterations of microphones and I finally ended up on the Shure um M7 I believe and it does deliver great audio. Uh but yeah, so I ended up starting the podcast and the, like launching it and I found that just Starting it is what you have to do. Just start recording. It may not sound great the first couple, but just always trying to get better was was a big deal. So I started doing the pod. Uh, I try to have guests and i 'm trying to do more guests, but I find it 's hard with my schedule and other people's schedules to sort of coordinate and I try to put one out every week that 's sort of like the um, the goal. I try to put out you know one or two a week, and the first one, which is usually out on Tuesdays, I try to do. Uh, you know preparation stuff for people who come to Vegas, so what to expect, what to bring, uh, things to, you know, things that are going on in town. That's what I like to do with the first one and the second one I call Last Night in Vegas, which is on the same feed, and that one's more about my experience going and reviewing like a restaurant or a lounge or an experience, just to give you sort of a different flavor and I really try to do both and I ended up coming up with the idea of having an also video Platforms, so uh, I end up doing that on Instagram and TikTok. I found that I, I never played with TikTok before. It was the most annoying thing. I was like, "How do I do any of this?" And now I'm I'm on there, so it's it's a thing. But I found it was a really cool way of promoting the podcast, but also giving you the video version of the podcast. While you know, because people are very visual, so it's hard to. It's much easier to show food than to talk about food sometimes. But I just really like educating people. And that's one of my favorite things. So it's it's like an outlet for what I've done in in the city.
0: It's a, uh, a big undertaking to do a weekly podcast. It, yeah. it really, I know even myself, I mean, I'm coming up on five years that I've been doing this podcast now. And... I've managed to this year for 2023 I think I've missed one week where I haven't wow. put out content and but it's such a huge undertaking to to do so I I commend you for for going into this just guns a blazing so to speak and saying yep I'm going to do one sometimes two a week and I'm going to get this content out I think that's amazing I think it's awesome
1: I appreciate it. Yeah, but no, you're yeah, doing interviews. Definitely, you, it's I'm learning that you have to sort of space it out because you have to work with people's schedules. So we're working on it. So um, I think it also brings a lot more when you do have you know other uh, professionals on. Like I've had a friend who's a bartender on and explaining her stories of being a bartender. I have a, a coworker who. Uh, he used to be a Valley parker at Caesars back in the good old days of like the late 90s and early 2000s. He says he parked Michael Jackson's car. There's a lot of those stories. So you always have to sh- shift through the ones you might believe. Um, but those are always good stories. So uh, I think Vegas is great because everybody has a story like that that works on the Strip or around the Strip. And uh, it's it's one of those very interesting cities that it's not like L.A. where it's normal to see them walking around. But it's also normal to watch them, see them walking around. And it's just fun to see them having fun. But yeah, it's it's a, it's an undertaking, but just getting it out there is a big deal.
0: Uh, something I found with mine is I know like a, a portion of my podcast is doing trip reports. Mm-hmm. And when I come to Vegas, and I'll usually throw together a trip report episode after and review all the restaurants and hotels and shows and things like that. But something it's really done is it's forced me to step out of my comfort zone because when you travel somewhere so often you you get those regular places and those those usual haunts and you find yourself going to the same places over and over again have you found for yours that you've kind of had to do that same thing and step out and do do different things so it's like oh i'm not doing another another episode about the flamingo again
1: exactly yeah no (laughs) it's, it's it's actually been the hardest part because i know what i like I know what I'm going to enjoy when I go out. I usually go out once a week to do these, um, just to sort of you know keep the budget down because it can get very expensive. But also just trying to try something new, but also have a good time out in in town. But yeah, I've actually tried different foods that I never thought I'd try. Like I went to the Aria and I tried Bardot, which is a French uh, brasserie. I think I got it right. And I tried uh, Escargot for the first time because I had had steak so many times, I had had so much of the same food. That I said, I need to try something different. And I tried escargot and I found out that I actually enjoyed it. It actually wasn't bad. So it is actually a really good way of pushing you outside of your comfort zone for sure. Um, there's still things that I have trouble sort of, you know, coming to terms with. Like me and sushi don't always get along. So I don't like sushi. But uh, I, I found that I actually really enjoy Japanese cuisine, which is very odd. So I find that doing this actually does help me be much more open to different cuisines, which I think there's actually cuisines that are coming into town that are really becoming trendy uh, that uh, I think are, are definitely going to you know, take over. And there's certain things that I think that are going to come to town uh, pretty soon for, uh, for the masses
0: one of your recent episodes i listened to talking about trends you talked about the mediterranean restaurants that seem to be just blowing up in las vegas right now and that is it's weird how vegas goes through those those trends right and and it's it's whatever i guess you know hence it's trendy whatever's trendy and whatever's big and popular seems to just roll into vegas like a force of nature and take over every property on the strip and then six months or a year from now some of that stuff seems to all sort of go away it's
1: it's so true yeah no it's it's crazy it was like there was like one mediterranean restaurant on the strip for the longest time when i was working as a concierge in 2018 2019 and we had a mediterranean restaurant it was called uh, the greek sneak or so it gets greek and it was like one of the only places on the strip and now at the at the Venetian, the Venetian has like three Mediterranean restaurants all within like fifty feet of each other. They have one which is called Fleur Azul, which is like not my thing. I went there and I tried it out and I wasn't a fan of it. But some people love it. It's big for like bachelorette parties. It has live music. They wave like the the handkerchiefs and it's cool. But it's very very expensive. They also have uh, ha Salong, which is actually just below it, which is a very high end Mediterranean cuisine that just opened maybe a couple weeks ago. And that place has huge buzz around it. And they even have uh, Mazan, which I believe is uh, like a it's sort of like a stand, which is also Mediterranean cuisine. And then they have. Uh, they also have uh, Milos, which is a really well-known uh, like uh, Mediterranean restaurant uh, at the Venetian. So it's hard for all of them to compete with each other for sure. Like I'm sure that one of them will close at some point. Probably uh, fleur La Soul. Um, but you, you you just see them everywhere. And I think I said it in the in the episode that I think a lot of that cuisine. I mean, even cathedral, which is over at uh, the Aria, that one's actually a very a very beautiful restaurant. I actually had gone there for the grand opening. I knew a a nightclub host who invited me to go. I went. I was able to go. And the cuisine itself is said to be Mediterranean, Italian, a lot of very European flavors, but. Anyways, I believe that the reason they're becoming so popular is because a lot of Americans are trying to be much more health conscious. They know they also just want to try something different, and I think Mediterranean cuisine is a way to do that. A lot, of, a lot of vegan, a lot of vegetarian options in Mediterranean cuisine, so I think that has a lot of legs. But I think Vegas is very, very trendy. Like for, ex- I mean, one of my favorite things that came to Vegas was supper clubs. That is actually like just a recycle of like the 1950s and 60s where you had all of these shows, you know, dinner shows that they they like those now because it's so expensive to actually go to a show nowadays in Vegas and dinner. That why don't we just put them together? So, Mayfair brought that back back when I was still working in the hotels and now Delilah's, which is actually I believe from New York and then LA, and now they have it here in Las Vegas, and I think those are actually one of the better trends that are coming to Vegas. And they're not coming so fast because it takes a lot to conceptualize it. But things like speakeasies, I used to love to go to speakeasies. But oh my God, there's so many now that it's actually not even fun. It's it's not fun finding one anymore. It's just, it is what it is. But that's a trend that I think is on its way out. But I think it's, we're just oversaturated in the market of speakeasies.
0: It feels like you can't turn around now or go into any hotel or see any kind of Um, TikTok video or Instagram reel or anything that isn't. Check out this new speakeasy that's opening, blah, blah, blah. The whole concept behind the speakeasy originally was that it was a secret that hardly anybody knew about. And now, I mean, I get it. Clearly, that's a a bad business model in Las Vegas. (laughs) You don't want an establishment that nobody knows about. But at the same time, it, it it's not a cool speakeasy if everybody it's, and their dog exactly. knows about it. I always
1: say that the, everyone always says the barbershop is better. So I did one that actually I think has like some of my most views on TikTok was the um, uh, uh, ghost donkey, which is at uh, – Uh, cosmopolitan which is actually great love ghost donkey it's a fantastic speakeasy because it's small nobody really knows where it's at but everyone always in the comments says well i think barbershop is better which barbershop is downstairs everyone knows that that's a bar like it's not a secret so i never count that as a speakeasy and everybody says it. all the vegas influencers are this is the best one it's it's just a bar so it doesn't really count as a speakeasy but i agree it's 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 it should be hard to find which again like you said should be the the point but um it's it's one of those things where it's very trendy and i think the and i used to work for MGM resorts but whenever MGM does something in in a whole it always is very corporatized i don't really which is it's 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 the business but for example, Easy Speakeasy, which is at the Aria, uh, is all o- is all over social media, and it's probably because I follow them on social media. But it's they're all over the place. It's I don't really like the room, but at that point, it just feels very corporatized. It feels very done up. It feels like somebody you know touched it from the executive office, and and that's not fun. You want it to be organic, like I think Ghost Donkey is, which is why I think it's you know superior.
0: Speakeasy by 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 committee is right. a terrible idea. Oh, it's ter-
1: it's horrible. <laughs> it's like I don't I don't I don't I don't like it to be so done up. I don't like reservations for speakeasies because then that makes it feel like a restaurant. I want it to be you know something you walk in, very you know jazzy, if you will. You walk in, you have a drink or two, and then you walk out. You're not going to be there for super super long. But I don't know. That's just my personal take on it.
0: I'm also a big fan, uh, like yourself, of the supper club. Yeah. I, I love that supper club concept. And last year, uh, my wife and I had the opportunity to go to Mayfair supper club yeah. in Bellagio. We had a friend of ours that actually performs there. So we were able to oh, go and cool. see her and, and check it out and on the, the Sunday night jazz night. And afterwards, when I was telling people the cost and what we paid for our night with a tip, it was, it was a $400 oh, yeah. night out. And people were like, Oh my God, that's so much money. And I said, well, Really, when you think about it, it's not because we had we had dinner. We had an amazing dinner, one of the most incredible dinners I've ever had in my life, and we had a show. Exactly. And if if we had gone out for dinner somewhere to a, a equivalent level steakhouse, mm-hmm. and then bought a pair of tickets to a Cirque du Soleil show, whether that be Ca or O or or one of the big Cirque shows. Yeah we would have spent $400 anyway, oh, yeah, easy. And I, so I much rather would have had that experience. I have less problem paying $400 for that experience than I do paying the $30 for the two Starbucks coffees and two pastries right. that my wife and I get stuck yes. having in the morning, Definitely.
1: right? Oh, I totally get that. Because you, cause you you go in knowing that it's an experience. Like, you know that you're going in. And getting the show aspect of it is a huge part of it because they sing so well. I was actually there uh, on Wednesday or Tuesday, monday i forget which day i was there but i was there a couple days ago and it's great i i I actually will just go and have a drink or like i i was able to go it was monday because i was watching the monday night football game and i was i was across the street and i said i want to go check it out because i'm here and i just had a drink and i ended up getting a dessert and i was completely it was awesome and again it's much easier for me like you said to spend that amount of money for you know a cake and a couple drinks than to spend, you know, thirty dollars for a Starbucks coffee, which uh, it's 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 exuberant a lot, a lot of the times. So you, you pick your spots definitely.
0: I want to talk a little bit about las vegas now and some of the changes that people have seen and things that have that have happened over the last little while you've been in vegas for a long time what are what are some of the biggest changes that you've noticed over the last few years the nickel and diming
1: is the thing that you get a lot of, of people you know paying for parking or any of the the fees you get a lot on the restaurants but i would say that vegas is becoming much more of a it's no longer a budget city. A lot of people came to you know their old ideas of Vegas. It's no longer here. You should understand that Vegas is very expensive to visit for sure, um, and really make Vegas what make Vegas what you what you want it to be. Uh, you don't have to do all like the big nightclubs and all, everything. but in terms of how it's changed, I would say that a lot more stuff is is much more automated now. Um, it's a lot more, you know color by numbers, I suppose, is that we get in a guest. It's a lot of convention crowds. But you, you don't get that service. You, you, you can get that service if you pay for it. A lot of it has to come with you know the price included. But um, it's, a, it's a hard one to answer in sort of like a macro sense. Uh, but I mean, I could tell you some little things that are changing how restaurants look. But I would definitely say that uh, you get a lot of people who wish for the old days, but you, you have to look towards the future. So um, no more buffets, unfortunately.
0: Yeah, it's the biggest thing that I think I've noticed. I mean, I've been going to Vegas pretty regularly for eh, eight, nine years now coming up. And the cost is definitely the big thing. That is is skyrocketed. I know um, I did a trip back in March. I was there for a convention and my wife joined me for the first little bit as kind of a vacation. And I would say setting aside Having dinner at Mayfair, um, I would say it was probably the most expensive trip that mm-hmm. we've ever had to Las Vegas. And it was things like We went out for breakfast one morning. We went to the Henry and the Cosmo and it was a $50 breakfast. And, and I mean that I was blown away by the $6 cup of coffee and the $6 cup of tea. Not, not anything fancy, like just a straight cup of coffee and a straight cup of tea was six bucks for each of us. And so, I mean, that was certainly a huge thing for us and just the, as you say that you mentioned the nickel and diming and it feels like, you know, again, resort fees have gone up and there's parking fees everywhere. And you have to, when you get your, your check at the end of the night, you have to go over it line by line to see if they've added on some weird, concession and franchise fee or some weird employee fee, or if they've already put the tip in, but then given you a line for a tip, we've run into that as well. So we've, that was kind of the big thing that I found is just that, that nickel and diming and yes, expensive, as you say, Vegas, Vegas used to be a cheap weekend getaway, an easy yeah. way to get away and and spend a few bucks and, and have a budget vacation. And it is not that anymore. No.
1: And I think, I think Vegas knows what it wants to be. Now at this point, it wants to be um, a higher end vacation destination where they're really getting, you know, the top top of, of, of the price point. And it's tough. So places, there's places like Harrah's and Flamingo that can cater to, you know, people who want to be here on a budget. But even those places, it can get very, very expensive to to be in there. Because I mean, they have a Gordon Ramsay restaurant at, uh, I believe, Harrah's now. So it's it's tough. I think it's definitely tough. The cost is definitely a thing. But I I go back to what you're saying about like the coffee and soda. Because sometimes I'll just get a soda someplace, and it's you know five six dollars. And yeah, you get refills. But I mean. That or those are the exorbitant costs that you don't really see built in. And like when people ask, like, how do I go out every week to go eat at some of these places? I go with a budget. I try to spend between a hundred and a hundred and, you know, 30 bucks. I'm not trying to spend it, but that's realistically what's going to happen. So that's sort of the budget I want to stay in just because that's what I think a normal, like a normal night out in Vegas for people is going to end up being, especially if you have two people. It's going to be, if it's two people, it's actually, more cost effective to dine with two people sometimes than it is by yourself because what i'm seeing a lot of in las vegas in terms of you know trends for restaurants and such is that you don't get a lot of like steak restaurants where it's just a single entree for yourself it's really served to be with multiple people so it's if you go with two people you can get you know an entree a side and then you can split it all so everything at this point is being family style and i think the the restaurants are actually capitalizing on that by saying, well, you're going to get multiple things, and you don't really know, you know, how much you actually how big the portions are. But if you go en- if you go out enough, like I do, you know that if you get one thing of mashed potatoes, that can feed up to three people. It's huge. Yeah. But I mean, I was just looking. I wanted to go to STK the other day just because I hadn't been there in a while. And then I actually will go through the menu, and I think this is a good tip for anybody who's going to to dine out, especially for expensive restaurants, is to just do the the math in your head. Or just add it up how much it's going to cost what are you going to get? what's your date going to get? Uh, what sides are you going to get? Are you going to get drinks and honestly if you're going to get drinks and an entre so I was looking just to sort of go through it, I was going to get you know the New York strip, which was seventy five dollars and then at that point, if I want to get a side, all the sides are twenty dollars so at that point i'm almost at a hundred dollars and I haven't even had a drink yet, and then I might want to get a dessert, so at that point I'm at one hundred and fifty dollars, and that's you know what I'm adding up just then. And sometimes when I go out, I have two drinks. So it's just, and I decided not going. I was like, no, I'm not going to spend $200 in a night out that was on a whim. So it's, it's gotten very expensive to dine out in Vegas. So, um, another like trend that I've seen in, in Vegas, the way they've been constructing restaurants, is the much a much more closed sort of uh, setup. Because it used to be open concept where you can see it from the casino. But now a lot of places are really building with walls so you can't see in, which I think is actually cool because then they get to sort of create whatever they want inside of the hotel or inside of the restaurant, which is great. Like Stanton Social did this. It used to be called, um, used to be called something else that was owned by the, the nightclub. And Stan Social is enclosed. It feels sort of like a carnival. But they're able to do all these different things on the inside that really transport you. And I think you're going to see a lot of that in town where you're, they're building restaurants where you can't see in, which helps them sort of control a lot of the uh, stuff that goes on the inside. So.
0: So I want you to put your concierge hat on and uh, and play concierge for me for for a little bit and, and get a few tips and tricks for, sure. for Vegas folks that might happen to be going. Um, let's start with restaurants and some recommendations. Um, top three recommendations. We'll go with a high-end, a mid-range, and a budget-type place. For sure. So I'm
1: going to start with the hardest one first, which is the budget, because that was the one that I really had to think about. So in terms of budget, I really, really enjoy Gordon Ramsay's Fish and Chips um, over at his – it's just the stand over in in the Link prop, uh, Promenade, and it's just the fish and chips. They also do like lobster. They do um, shrimp as well, but it's around so around twenty twenty five dollars. So it's like twenty five if you get a drink. But that's basically what to me budget is on the Las Vegas Strip because it's going to be really hard to find anything less than that. But I found it actually to be a substantial portion of like fish, really good amount of uh, chips fries and it's actually delicious and it's all cooked fresh in front of you, which is great. And it really always adds to sort of that English vibe that it's sort of served how it is. So I really enjoy Gordon Ramsay's fish and chips. I also, if you don't like fish, I also like the Side Betty Bar, which is actually over at the Park MGM, right next to the sports book, and they make great cheeseburgers. I love their smash cheeseburgers; they're always delicious. It always hits the spot. That place can actually get very expensive if you order a cheeseburger, fries, and a soda. It ends up being like almost forty dollars. But if you just get the, <laughs> it's, it's it's crazy. It's one of those nickel and dime things. Like, why don't you just do the cheeseburger and fries as a combo, and then you know cut it in half? But Anyways, the cheeseburger itself is delicious, which is around 20 bucks as well, which, again, it's expensive for, you know, a regular cheeseburger. But for Vegas, that's kind of what the going rate is for a cheeseburger on the strip. Um, what else do we talk about? Mid-range? Mid-range was interesting. So, mid-range, I had to sort of f- try to figure out sort of price points. So. I have two options. So, uh, Holstein's, which was still on burgers, uh, Holstein's is one of my favorite burger places. So, when someone says, I want to have a good lunch, uh, you know, something that's, you know, relaxed and chill, you you want something a little bit more approachable, I always recommend Holstein's. It's a good vibe. It's way better than another burger place that I'm going to talk about later. But I really, really enjoy Holstein's shakes and buns. They make really, really delicious shakes. I had never gotten a shake from there before. Again, pushing me outside of my comfort zone. I made sure to try a Shake there. And they were really good. So if you go there, a burger, fries, and a soda, you're looking around 30 bucks. And again, it's a sit down plated you know, burger and it definitely feels like, you know, a high-end burger. They have much more expensive burgers there, but unless you really want to get the gold standard which is $60, I don't think you need to. So, um one more just so we have a restaurant that is not, you know, a burger. Um I actually just went there and it's called Red 8, which is Chinese cuisine at the the Wynn, and even though it looks very fancy on the inside, which it is, it's actually very approachable. I was able to have a whole like I had uh, cream uh, I had crab puffs there. I also had like a pork platter that had three different types of like barbecue pork, duck, and then um I think it was also more duck. And then I also had uh, like orange chicken and rice, and it ended up being like seventy five bucks. So that and it was a lot of choices and options. To choose from, so that's why I think that that was actually a good value, just because I got so much. I actually had food to take home with me after, so I thought that place was good, um, and I think that's a good mid range because you can sort of make it as expensive as you want or make it as you know affordable as you want for that place. And then I have oh, I have high end, which is my favorite. So um, high end, uh, probably my favorite restaurant in all of Las Vegas is uh, Wakuda, which Wakuda Japanese Cuisine, which is at the Palazzo. It's unbelievable It's unbelievable on the inside. It's, you know, this beautiful purple. I always tell people it's a very sexy restaurant because it has all these really cool paintings on it. Uh, they're actually all hand-penciled or hand-penned. They have delicious cocktails. They also have a speakeasy uh, omesake room, which is actually just like a... Like a uh, sushi bar and they do an omasake uh, menu. They also have their own bar as well, like for cocktails. They have a beautiful lounge and their, their sushi looks beautiful. All everything that's presented at Wakuda just looks like art, which I think is what really constitutes like high end dining. And I really enjoy everything. Every time I've gone there, I really enjoy it. So I love Wakuda. It's, uh, um, I believe a Michelin star chef is the person who, um, came up with the concept. So they always have to say in Vegas, this is sort of like a little fun uh, insight, is that they always say that they have a Michelin star chef or like a two-star Michelin chef uh, at this restaurant. Because uh, I found out that Las Vegas actually doesn't pay for the Michelin guidebooks, So they haven't done that, I believe, since 2010 or 11. So we don't have any new Michelin star restaurants, unless you're Joe Robichon, who's had your Michelin star since like 2000. So that's a fun little fact that I learned about uh, Michelin stars in Vegas. But uh, So that's Wakuda. And then obviously Delilah's, just for the vibe, I always say, is a great... It's a great high-end restaurant if you can get in just because it does feel very money inside of uh of the wind. So those are all my recommendations. Hopefully they were they were helpful. I know I'm kind of long-winded, but I like I like being descriptive. So like when I talk about Wakuda, that's how I used to sell restaurants. I always used to give off the vibe. It's like it's a very sexy restaurant or this is a very elegant restaurant. A lot of it is how do you sell the vibe? And that's the that's the key.
0: Well, I did tell you to put your concierge hat on. Yeah. This, so, yeah, you know, it's, it's you're forgiven. Um, after I go for a bite to eat, I maybe want to go take in a show. Let's talk show recommendations sure. again. Um, let's go kind of a, a top three. We'll do a residency, a production show. And then it's always fun for a little comedy or a little magic or to combine the two.
1: Yeah, definitely. So in terms of residencies, I mean, I went to go see Adele. I actually saw Adele twice, uh, once with a friend and once with my mom, because I was able to get into the, the pool to get it. It's it's, it was really hard to get tickets for Adele when she first came out. I'm assuming it's getting easier and easier to get tickets for Adele as she becomes more, um, established. I've heard that she's going to end up extending her residency as well. Uh, but I, I really enjoy Adele, especially if you want a very elevated experience, a very like 19, you know, very oceans 11, uh, Las Vegas. Adele is a great, is a, is a great, um, is a great choice. Uh, the sound is awesome. The the screen was state of the art until he built the sphere, and now you have to deal with the sphere. But Adele's great, but it's not for everybody just because she does sing, you know, a lot of ballads. So if you're in the mood for a chill night, I think Adele certainly has its place. But I also wanted to give more of an upbeat one. So Katy Perry is super popular. I think her residency is actually ending, so I kind of feel bad putting it on the list. But every time people have gone to see Katy Perry, they've loved it. They said it's exactly what I was looking for for a Vegas show. So Katy Perry is a fantastic residency, but Usher is also great. So since I'm recommending one that is leaving, I'll recommend one that is still here. Uh Usher, people love Usher. It's R&B. He's a very very good performer. So I would say Usher's a great choice. Uh in terms of production, show there's so many, but I mean the overall the overarching answer always essentially is absinthe absinthe i think is the best vegas show if you like vulgarity if you don't like vulgarity then don't go see absinthe but absinthe really is the anti Cirque du soleil it has in a big top they also have a speakeasy next to it but theirs is actually kind of cool um and actually has its own entrance if you go to the uh i think pier 66 it's something like that um, it's called peer something and they actually have a speakeasy next to absinthe which acts as its own entrance which looks like a old like british uh, phone booth but anyways absinthe is fantastic they have the gazillionaire who does a great job sort of direct you know pushing the show forward but I really enjoy absinthe I always have a good time going it's very expensive uh, in terms of a, a daily production show I think their tickets you know start around 125 150 and they go up from there but absinthe's great i also like vegas to show for people who like that old school vegas vibe it's a little bit more affordable uh but i love production shows in terms of musicals and that's really what vegas to show is and in terms of like cirque du soleil uh, everybody can always say O, oh, but uh I think Ka is actually great in terms of value just because you get the same sort of over the top big Vegas show that you can only see in Las Vegas but for like a fraction of the price of what O is cuz O usually starts around 150-175. Ka, you can usually get around you know around, you know, 85 to you know 100 bucks as the cheapest ticket and it goes all the way up to 250 cuz you know we have all those you know seats that are 250 um what do i have here left comedy yeah so i haven't actually been to comedy or magic shows in a while but um brad garrett was always great they've actually moved his theater his theater actually used to be in the basement of mgm grand now he's moving on up so now he's actually on the second floor where the district is and I actually went and sat at the bar. I actually went to go see inside of, the, inside of the, the comedy club itself. And it really, really has upgraded itself. And I think that's a great comedy club. Obviously, you have the Jimmy Kimmel Comedy Club, which is really great, which that's really cool because they actually have midday shows, like midday, like later, like later afternoon shows. And uh, I think that's a really great option. But also, of course, in terms of magic, because I haven't seen a magic show in quite some time. But uh, when I was you know, around, Matt Franco was probably the best magic show in town he's won best uh magic show for uh the southern what is it snicka yeah that's uh the snhca that's the local concierge group and they have a gala and he wins every single year because everyone's over david copperfield so uh <laughs> i saw david copperfield so many times we had so many free tickets to go see david copperfield that we would essentially just give them away because um, <laughs> <laughs> He's definitely been phoning it in for a while. But Matt Franco for anybody who really, really wants uh, magic.
0: I, I love that you mention Absinthe because they, I mean, my wife and I saw Absinthe many years ago during kind of its, it was a couple of years in. So it was like the OG cast, mm. the original Gazillionaire, yeah. the original Penny Pivots. Uh, Melody Sweets was the Green Fairy, that that whole cast. And I remember my wife and I being there and just being blown away at how far they took that show. Yeah. And, and the fact that we only saw like two people actually get up and walk out, which was pretty impressive. Um, but Spiegel World has really done a really good job of moving, coming into Vegas and bringing out these shows, um, between Absinthe and Atomic Saloon, which I can't recommend enough. I have a couple of friends that are involved in that production. And again, like just a, an incredible show and then the Opium show as well. And then, um, they've got another one that's going to be coming out as well, a seventies disco themed one. I think that's yeah. going into, I want to say Harrah's the, or the Link. It's going into one yeah. of those properties. Yeah, yeah I'm
1: not sure. Yeah, I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, Spiegel World is 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 really coming to Vegas, and they really have their own twist on things, which is amazing. I think they're not putting putting Circus out of business, but it's definitely more t- tuned for adults, which I think. Adults want people, adults want to see a little bit, a little bit of a more risque Vegas show. And I've seen all three of the shows that you were talking about, and they all kind of vary in terms of taste. Like, opium is like over here with sex and like all the innuendos. Uh, Atomic Saloon is very, very much um, a, l- a little bit, it was before COVID and they had this thing with spaghetti, and that kind of grossed me out a little bit. But Fantastic show. <laughs> Fantastic show. And then Absinthe is, of course, the OG. But yeah, they're, they're great. They also, I believe... I don't know if they operate um, the restaurant, Super Frico, but they have their performers in there, which I had gone in. And it's... Super Frico is good as a restaurant. It's fine. But the it's all about the atmosphere inside of there, which I guess counts kind of like a supper club, kind of like uh, Mayfair or Delilah's, I suppose. But... Yeah, no. Sh- shows are sh- it's 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 tough for these production shows because you have so many residencies coming to town. So they're gonna really have to fight for to keep their spots. And I think I think Spiegel World's okay.
0: Let's get off the strip briefly yeah. and momentarily here. I, I always love when I go to a, a city. I always love getting local suggestions and some ideas for um, any kind of locals haunts that I can go and check out. And I've been very fortunate in traveling to Vegas and having friends that are there because they want to get the hell away right. from the strip, mm-hmm. um, they'll usually take me out to those places. So do you have any kind of suggestions yourself that you would ever put out there for people that maybe want to go and check out a, a hidden gem or something a little bit different from the big corporate type place? Yeah,
1: for sure. So there's actually a restaurant. It's actually has a couple a couple restaurants in town, but one that I like to recommend is uh, Lindo Muchican, which is actually a Mexican restaurant that has a beautiful view of the strip, but it's, it's, it's in Henderson. It's on 645 Carnegie Street. And make sure to write it down because there's multiple Lindo Muchicans. I don't want you going to the wrong one, but this one's in Henderson and it's actually built sort of like on a cliff. And then you actually have a beautiful bar that looks out towards Las Vegas Boulevard. And it's a beautiful local restaurant. They actually make their all their tortillas in, in, in house, which is hard to find, especially for somebody from Tucson. I am very specific about tortillas. But they are great, and they actually have a a huge menu, uh, and they're really, really good. So I really recommend Linda Mucha And that's definitely, it's great for families. It's great for, like, a date, like a casual date. But really enjoy it. So Linda Mucha is fantastic. Um, I'll also recommend one for, like, sort of the artsy folks, uh, especially, like, the big cocktail artsy folks. Um, Velveteen Rabbit, which is in the arts district. The arts district has really come along, which is the district in between... Uh, the Las Vegas Strip and Fremont Street. So this is sort of like the in-between area, just sort of north of the stratosphere. But Velveteen Rabbit is a really popular spot for Las Vegas locals, especially like bartenders, people who, can, who uh, consider themselves like foodies or big like, you know, craft drinkers uh velveteen rabbit is very very popular they actually just opened a speakeasy in in main street i can't remember the name of it unfortunately uh but i'm sort of speakeasy out so i don't know if i'm going to visit it but uh the artistic <laughs> is great though like if you go down main they have so many restaurants and bars it's really great for bar hopping and you find a lot of locals that go down main street so anything on main street they have rebar they have linda uh, they have uh, velveteen rabbit they also have uh i have That's a Mexican restaurant I forgot on that street. Um, Esther's Kitchen is in the Arts District, which is really, really popular for a lot of locals. But uh, yeah, the Arts District really coming along. Um, I'll give you one more. This is for the trendy folks. Um, And that's Mas Por Favor. Uh, Mas Por Favor is a uh, taqueria or a taco shop that has a speakeasy in the back. So it's actually in like the most... Busy parking parking lot in the entire city because it's also where they have the uh, Golden Tiki, which is another very, very popular Las Vegas local um, spot. Uh, I'm not big into tiki bars, but it's really really fun. Uh, They also have Frankie's Tiki Bar, which I put gas next to there the other day, and it was popping on a Monday. So again, it's (laughs) just one of those things. But yeah, so yeah, Moss Porfavor is really cool. It's very trendy for very like you know young people um, to go and try something different. So Moss Porfavor is definitely on there, and of course, Herbs and Rye, which I'm sure you've had on the pod before. Which honestly, I think. Talking about overrated things, um, I think their food is actually a little bit overrated, but um, it's discounted. It's half price, so that's why it's um, properly rated, because it's half price. But drinks are good, but yeah, herbs and rye.
0: Um, let's talk about those overrated experiences, because I, myself, I've been burned on this, where you hear about something, and it gets built up in your brain and built up in your mind about how great it is and how amazing it is, and you go there, and you're like, eh. Yeah was okay i guess um is there anywhere when you were when you when you were working as a concierge or even now when you have people asking you if you you know have suggestions of they come in and go i really want to go and try blah 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 place and i've heard it's such amazing and you're like "Mm, right no
1: yeah it's it's tough because you you want to you want to experience some of these things and that's sort of like the fun part of it obviously but one that i always get is is like is Gordon Ramsay's burger restaurant fantastic, and I actually hadn't gone for the longest time. I went probably about a month or two ago because I said I'd never been. I need to try it. And I didn't it didn't knock my socks off. It was one of those things where I feel like it's super blown up about Gordon Ramsay's burger restaurant. He has actually really good restaurants in town, so it's not just a blanket statement, but just that burger on that day, the restaurant didn't feel fancy, it didn't feel like it was built up, and I wasn't a fan of Gordon Ramsay's burger. I always tell people, instead of Gordon Ramsay's burger, go to Holstein's, it's just as good a burger, just without Gordon Ramsay's name on it. And it's around the same price, so it's nothing, you know, crazy. But I do have kind of a, a, a spicy take for you if you If you're you're ready for it, and this might make a lot of people mad, but um, I think Fremont Street is very overrated. Um, Because, so I work on Fremont, which is the other funny part about it. But if you ever walk down Fremont Street, just when it's busy, it's just it's it just smells so bad out there, and I I, it just smells so the smell is just so (laughs) off putting to walk on Fremont. And I don't smoke weed, but you have so much weed smell down there. Um, and then also you have a, you know, you have a huge homeless population, which is, is something that needs to, you know, be worked out, obviously. Um, but it just doesn't feel like a place that I want to hang out at. So if you ever watch, you know, my stuff on TikTok or Instagram, I don't go to Fremont Street very often, although Fremont Street does have great things inside the hotels, but just outside of Fremont, on the, in the Fremont, under the canopy is what we call it. I don't find it like needed for me to go. But again, people want to see the neon. So I always recommend you go down there once so you can see Vegas Vic and you can see the Golden Nugget and Binion's. And even El Cortez has a beautiful, like, rancho style. And they have one of the only signs in Vegas that still says gambling on the outside. So the thing is, I say it's overrated, but it's definitely worth doing at least once to see all the beautiful neon lights. And if you really like neon lights, you should go see the Neon Museum. It's actually fantastic. Um, but yeah, that's another one. I mean, ice, the ice bars are supremely overpriced to go see the ice bars they're you know they're huge deals and i have a, just one more is uh, i actually covered this on on the pod was the aria hotel in general is very overrated um just because it's so hard to to walk in anywhere there it's one of the only restaurants where they won't let people walk in and eat um i've tried to walk into jean george they reserve the bar tops you it's really hard to walk into carbone which is like once they say one of the best italian restaurants in the city which i now have a connect to go in there so i want to try it one of these days uh but yeah, just Arya in general. It's just a very sterilized, you know, not Cool. It's cool, but like it's not a fun hotel unless you're like Aaron Rodgers or somebody like that that gets into the private rooms. Like, I think a very comparable hotel to the Aria is Cosmopolitan. And I think Cosmopolitan is just so much better and cooler than uh, the Aria. But that's my, that's my spicy take for today is the Aria in general.
0: It's funny that you bring up Gordon Ramsay Burger because I, Gordon Ramsay Burger used to be a place that I loved going to yeah. and it was a must eat whenever I'd come to town. And over the last few years, it seems like it's sort of started to drop and a yeah. little bit in the service and quality, and it's not as good. You know where they went wrong? was putting the E in the word That's burger. right. It exactly- used to not have an E in there. It was B-U-R-G-R. It was burger. Yeah. As soon as they added the E all went yeah like it just seems so much cooler back in the day and then it just felt like you know it felt
1: like an arby's okay that's not that's not true Um, (laughs)
0: let's not go that far it's not an arby's
1: uh but no it did it it just like the like the menus didn't feel like you know high level like a gordon Ramsay restaurant is but you know to his defense i went to gordon Ramsay's fish and chips at caesar's the other day and i had a fantastic salad and then i looked over and some guy had a a cheeseburger and i was really disappointed in my decision that day to get a salad because the burger looked delicious (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> um if people want to find the podcast yeah. where can they do that and how can they find you and follow you on social media
1: definitely so you can actually follow the podcast anywhere that you get your podcast so spotify apple um google podcast but those are going away so you can't find it there anymore so apple Podcasts and spotify uh you can find uh my social brian ortega 20 underscore 26 or you can follow the concierge confidential podcast which is concierge confidential underscore lv or you can follow us on uh, TikTok, which is at Keys to Vegas, and those will have all of our videos that we do when we do our last night in Vegas um, episodes, where you can see where I went and also listen to the full reviews on the pods, and they're very short, usually about a minute uh, for those videos, so they're very very short
0: excellent brian thank you so much for uh, for jumping on and having the conversation i really enjoyed this i definitely will have you back to uh to have more vegas discussion yeah. and uh and best of luck with the podcast my friend it's uh it's sounding great so uh, onward and upward thank
1: you so much i really appreciate it. this is awesome experience and you had asked fantastic questions that i really had to go back and think about these so really appreciate it
0: and that wraps up another episode of Jeff Does Vegas. If you've got feedback on this episode of the show, or any other episode for that matter, or you've got suggestions and ideas for topics you'd like me to cover on the podcast, please feel free to reach out to me via Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Jeff Does Vegas, Or drop me an email directly at jeff at jeffdoesvegas.com.